you know, sometimes your existence can be activism. Mm. You know, especially if you're in like, like a place like Kampala, you know. Hey streamers and dreamers, I am Kika Lomo and you are listening to The Week by Telecom Electronic Beats. It's Thursday, October 4th, and this is your weekly update on music, culture and what's next. Remember this? African Music Rising. According to the IFPI, an organization that represents the global recorded music industry, in 2022, Sub-Saharan Africa was the world's fastest growing market with a record revenue increase of over 34%. In one of our more recent episodes, we talked about the rise of artists from across Africa reaching new milestones, breaking records and connecting with huge audiences worldwide. But despite being the second largest continent in the world, home to 54 countries with more than a thousand official languages spoken, African artists unfortunately still get lumped together. Think about it. If we can't categorize a European artist, why is it done for those coming from Africa? Although there are more and more musicians achieving mainstream success, there are tons of regional differences that are underrepresented and underappreciated. To shed some light on that, I invited DJ and producer Takana. She's part of the experimental queer collective Anti-Mass and organized queer house parties in Kampala when that was still possible. Homosexuality was already illegal in Uganda, but a new anti-LGBTQ law introduced in May 2013 has been condemned as one of the most extreme laws in the world. Takana is living in Berlin right now where I met her. She plays shows with Anti-Mass all around Europe while assessing what's possible for life in Kampala. I talked to her about the importance of building safe spaces for queer people in the face of extreme bigotry and much, much more. All right. Uh, and in the studio with me today, I have the South Sudanese-born Kampala Rays, and now Berlin-based or Europe-based artist who goes by the name Takana from the Anti-Mass Collective. Thank you so much for joining me here today. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for having me. How are you doing? I'm great. Wonderful. Yeah. One of the reasons why we wanted to bring you in to chat today is because artists generally from sub-Saharan Africa seem to be holding more and more influence in the global music industry. You know, we saw milestones from the people like Burna Boy being one of the first African artists to ever sell out stadiums in the US and UK, or Rema, he's one of the first ones to reach over a billion streams on Spotify, and of course Thames and Black Coffee are doing their big thing, um, you know, and you see genres like Afrobeats and Amapiano starting to be pushed up into the mainstream and become, becoming, um, you know, considered pop songs. Um, but a lot of this global attention seems to be focused on artists from very specific countries. Like primarily. West Africa. Yeah, West Africa or South like Africa. Nigeria and mm. South Africa, maybe some Ghana, mm. Ghanaians too. Um, and, but I mean, there's also this this kind of tendency to lump African artists, like quote unquote, into um, one box. Mm. Do you feel or relate to the notion of an African artist? And uh, how do you generally feel about um the, the attention that's being turned towards the continent, particularly as a South Sudanese slash Ugandan artist. Yeah. I mean, for me, I feel like any attention towards African music is good, mm-hmm. regardless whether it's like East Africa or whatever. Because, of course, there hasn't been so much light going into 
music there. So it's a, it's a celebration. I like that there's a lot of more representation in different sounds. But also when you think about like East Africa, because of course Africa is huge and like different. We, I think we have like similarities in some sounds, mm-hmm. but I feel like every country has something that is about them. Mm-hmm. And obviously like um, I think when you think about South Africa and like Nigeria, they've had like time to build their music scene Mm -hmm. right so this is why uh you know of course attention and everything because it has gotten time to build up and there are other countries that have like like as uh a young music scene like let's say south sudan you know Mm -hmm. it it has like just been it's the youngest countries i don't think the music industry has had time to be developed Mm -hmm. but yeah and i think to think about african music it's, you know, the best way we can represent ourselves, right? Mm-hmm. So I think anything African or it works for me, like I'm, I'm here for it. Yeah. Do you yeah. think there were any negatives to being kind of like put in a bucket of, of African music? I mean, yes, it has happened to me like before, like when um it, when I play like, let's say hard techno or if I'm playing certain things and when the people who booked me uh, describe me as an African artist, I'm expected to play I don't know, like maybe tribal <laughs> sounds, <laughs> but something that is African. But, you know, I think music is music, right? And yeah, I think there is like a limitation to it in a way because it's your brain, you're creating, we get different influences, we're inspired by different stuff, you know? And I think for me personally, like why I'm in electronic music, like electronic dance music, it's more of the club sound, right? It's... Uh, it goes into different directions. Like I get inspired by like, I don't know, like artists from China, like Gabba Modest. I get inspired from everywhere and I get to dig different kind of music. But to be like, to be labeled African artists, people expect you to just, I don't know, I don't know, show up in beats. I don't know, something <laughs> like that. I mean, do you, do you, I mean, even just in Kampala and like the regional differences across Uganda, like mm. there must be dozens of subcultures alone. Mm. Like, do you feel like these regional differences and these like many, many different subcultures mm. are being represented fairly across uh, when you play across Europe and also generally around the world? I mean, I don't think so, but I, from my experience and like my friends that are artists, even though they come from different places. So let's say Kampala is a, it's a city that has different people, like from Congo, from Kenya, from in, the, in terms of their production, you feel everybody is representing a bit of who they are, you know, because I feel like uh, how rhythms and sounds work. It's like, what have you been, what have you been listening to while we grow up? Mm-hmm. You know, they automatically come when you produce music because those patterns are like familiar to your brain. Yeah, I think, of course, it's not like uh, eco in terms of how music is represented in culture, but I feel like now when I listen to the stuff that my my producer friends produce, you know, it represents who they are and their culture. So, you know, it's a way forward to be able to like use sound that comes from where you're from and also like improve it or resample it so it's like new and being pushed, you know? yeah. Yeah. How long have you been in, in Kampala for? Oh, my God. I So I grew up partially in North Kenya. Mm-hmm. And then I think, like, ever since I was a teenager, like, I don't know, 17. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And how, how did you discover the electronic music scene there? I mean, I so I went to Orland Gas School and then I was just, like, going out to parties and 
for myself at a, mm-hmm. <laughs> at a queer party organized by Antimas. Yeah. And yeah, so it had so many different stuff. And I feel like those are the, the electronic uh, queer parties or um, the Nyege Nyege parties or the underground parties that used to happen like, I don't know, a couple years ago in Kampala were so crucial in terms of like me understanding music and the sound because, mm-hmm. you know, I feel like in Kampala there's so much room for people to like play whatever because it's a very like young scene you can experiment and there's no like so much criticism Mm -hmm. so you're able to like just be who you are without like feeling like you need to be i don't know people need to like you or you need to get booked and also Kampala has so many young artists and producers it's because of that the nature of the space to be able to like try out different stuff and have um because of Nyege Nyege like so many artists travel to like do residencies Mm. so in a way you get to learn about different styles of music and different kinds of productions and yeah I mean Nyege Nyege is always used as a reference point for um the the evolution and platforming of East African electronic music does uh, Uganda have a long history with electronic music and experimentation even before Nyege Nyege kind of grew in, in popularity? Yes, yes, yes. I, I wouldn't say, okay, so I wouldn't, I mean, I think it's a misconception because you, we have to acknowledge that Nyege Nyege has contributed to the scene and it's because of accessibility to the wider audience, mm-hmm. to the European audience mm-hmm. or not like Uganda, mm-hmm. but there are like small labels and people who have contributed to music, but that don't have accessibility to to create such a broad a, audience. Exactly. So, yeah. and to go back to like electronic music, um, I think of course African music is always electronic when mm-hmm. you think about like Kadodi. So there's a, if you listen to like Uganda, there's a kingdom like Buganda instrumentalist. Mm-hmm. It sounds like that, you know, um, so there's so many references of sounds from different tribes that is already electronic, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think it's because of the accessibility. Like, you know how things get light on? It's because the Western eye has to put, to first view it, then it's like, oh, this is happening. But it's already been happening. How do you feel about that? Because this is something that <laughs> I, I also struggle with having, you know, you know you're actually resident on the ra- my radio station mm-hmm. on Oroko, mm-hmm. um, Oroko Radio. And sometimes this was something that when we when we built the platform, we were really... Um, we were really mindful of in terms of being like, hey, like this is now happening because, mm. you know, this platform is now making a thing. It was like, actually, you know, let's just provide something that has a little bit of a wider reach, but mm. allows our audience to represent themselves in their mm-hmm. own way, in an authentic way. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I don't know. Sometimes it does feel like that in terms of like, even from the topic of, you know, for example, the Grammys now mm. making, uh, adding like an African music yeah. category. Um, you know, things have been happening there since the 50s, 60s. I mean, since, mm. since music can be made you know yeah. so yeah how, how do you feel about the fact that it seems like a western gaze has to turn to the continent in yeah. order for it to just be validated i mean it's a very mixed feeling i think it's very hypocritical because i mean it okay it goes for me how i think about it, it goes way further in terms of like you know accessibility to resources accessibility to to push your stuff you know i think now we have the internet which is really helpful right but i can imagine and also I actually sometimes find it difficult, like, in terms of, like, if I have to get booked for a festival, it's like a white man has to book me yeah. <laughs> to be part of the festival. And if he doesn't, I don't know how it's like, 
media companies are owned by white people. So they choose to, if they choose to like pay, to put some light on something, then it's in existence because so many people know about it. But it's, mm. I think it's messed up, but that's how, we, that's how it is, I guess. Yeah, I guess uh-huh. it's almost like having to, it's a status quo, but using the status quo to your advantage. Yeah. Yeah? I guess. I mean... Let's let's bring it back to your collective anti-mass. Like, what was the origins of of the collective? And you know, I think I, I saw that um, anti-mass is rooted in activism, right? Is that true? I mean, it is, but um, you know, sometimes your existence can be activism. Mm. You know, especially if you're in like like a place like Kampala. You know, mm. yeah. But I think so. I joined anti-mass like like a year down, but it initially started from organizing queer parties, uh, like queer house parties. And they were like so crucial because of course, Kampala is a homophobic place. So to have like queer parties at, at a house and like, you know, move, switch the houses was creating this safe space. But also in terms like it's, it also it's mainly music focused to be able to really focus on good music. Mm. Yeah, I think for me when I, when I joined Antemas, I like say realizing the importance of community and what safe spaces meant because I, of course, I didn't know about, I didn't like have the idea of that. Mm. Yeah, and I, I mean, it's sad that you know I think we cannot throw parties back at home right now. That was going to be my next question. <laughs> like, how what is the, as a queer collective, what's the reality of how Antemas is evolving and being able to kind of throw events and stuff like that back in Uganda? I mean, we cannot throw parties right now mm. uh, because it's not, it's not just us. It's so putting so many other people at risk. But I think uh, we're continuing to like to to use like um, to release music, mm. uh, and also we're looking into like organizing parties mm. here, which in a way is uh, it's confusing because we were like really focused on community back at home because mm. it's like. When we when we organize parties, like people will like come to help with certain things. So it's a more community based. It's like everybody knows about the party and everybody comes out. But it's like the same people we know and newer people. So in a way, the parties back home are very smooth because people understood the intention of what a safe space means and mm. what our intentions were. Mm-hmm. And like to lose that community, I don't think we're gonna lose it. But like, what would keep community together was mostly the parties mm. and have those nights. So in a way, we are thinking about what is the best way to move forward. Mm. And I think right now is actually like settling mm. to f- you know first figure out you know where we're gonna live individually because some of my friends are gonna be like uh, some of the members are gonna be in London and I'm gonna be in Europe. So it's like to understand how. Uh, being in a like we are in a different place and mm. how can we continue our work in a different place mm. so it's like understanding and strategizing mm-hmm. yeah if you feel like talking about it how have the anti-lgbtq laws in uganda impacted you personally <laughs> i mean i don't know i feel like, okay so obviously it's like i cannot be I can be at home, but I don't like not feeling safe because for me, one of the essentials for like my mental health is like I need to feel a certain level of safetyness to be able to function. Or mm. yeah, so I think. Um, but also, we took time to build a home because I was living with my friends, and to build a community also. So I don't have access to that, and also in terms of music, to be able not to be home when I. 
I could just go to studio anytime or I had a functional community and mm. things worked for me in a certain way. Like and an I, ecosystem, right? Yes. And now I have to build another one. So, yeah. But also, I just like, I don't know, in my mental space, it's like you, if you cannot be who yourself, what is what is the point of being in a place? So mm. I, I feel sad for myself, but mostly my thoughts are with like people who are back at home, you know, because... I'm here right now, mm-hmm. and they're like really like queer communities like back at home dealing with the reality of being in that space. Because, mm. yeah, how are you able to ha- help activists in Uganda from Europe, or uh, do are you able? Do you feel as connected as artists living now in the diaspora? Okay, so I think money solves problems sometimes. Definitely, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> definitely. Honestly, so. Uh, like, you know, raising money to be able to, like, solve crucial problems that people have back at home, you know. Yeah. With that, like, hashtagness, mm-hmm. there's, like, that fundraiser that has been going on for some time. Mm-hmm. And we've contributed in, in that, like, by performing, uh, collecting money towards that. And I think with what's happening, what people need is, like, do you need to go to the hospital? Do you need to leave the country? Do you need to, like you know, pay some money to fix your passport or your visa. Mm. That is like the kind of solution that I think is functional, you know? Mm. Yeah. Speaking of visas, we we, <laughs> we mentioned it before. Um, and, you know, it's something that I'm currently dealing with, booking some artists from Nigeria and Ghana, coming to mm. Europe, and also having me having two passports, having a British passport and a Nigerian mm. passport. I mean, how easy is it for you to travel and get work visas for different countries across Europe? And, I mean, I saw an article come out in Pan-African Music yeah, the, the one about the British. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, you know, even from my own family's experiences, having to come to Europe just on the Nigerian passport yeah. and having to apply for visas, I know it's a struggle. So, I mean, what is that like as that experience as an artist? I mean, it's really crazy. Um, so, I last year, before when I was touring, I was using the three months visa mm-hmm. and I had to miss shows because it's three months and it was really crazy. So hectic. Like, you have to get out of the EU to save. A couple of days, mm-hmm. but I think um, it's a bigger rooted problem, right? I think it's very unfair. First of all, we have to say it's very unfair because um, when you think about how is it easy for like Europeans or British people to get accessibility to Uganda or any African country, mm. if you apply right now, you have your visa in like a week. Mm. You know, like, I don't know, it's not, it's so smooth. So it's unfair policies. Yeah, there's no that reciprocity. That is a broader, yeah. broader issue. But I think in like, in terms of like artists, obviously it's very hard because like you have to, to be in the EU, you have to get like an artist visa to be for longer periods of time. Mm-hmm. And it's super expensive. I'm recently, I recently applied for my, uh, the, my UK visa mm-hmm. and it costs way so much that like, you know, you it, it's not like nobody, I don't think anybody who doesn't have access to resources is able to, to like afford the visa, you know? And it's also a risk, I guess, right? Because you apply for the visa and you have to pay, but that doesn't necessarily mean you get the visa, right? Yeah. But I also think it's like, you know, African artists contribute so much to music mm. that it's just really messed up to have like... Known to come for artists, like minimal artists who do the bare minimum, like have accessibility because they are like from the UK because they're your own people and you make it difficult for other artists. It's very, 
it doesn't I don't know it doesn't make sense yeah I mean to end on on to, on some some hope and you know uh, some I guess joy where do you see both yourself as an artist evolving in the next 12 months what are your hopes but also what can we expect from anti-mass coming up also in the future as well yeah I mean <laughs> personally um so I'm I'm finishing a couple of projects so Ooh. I'm finishing an EP yes. that I that I was meant to release a bit earlier this year but then just like all the chaos understandably <laughs> I mean do you, do you have a release date already in mind? No, I don't. <laughs> you're yeah. like no pressure yeah. I don't want to I don't want to yeah I'm actually like um I for me as an artist I feel like I'm a young artist and in terms of knowledge and learning like I keep learning so mm-hmm. I feel like I, I'm really like inv- investing so much time to understand my art mm-hmm. and just produce a lot because this is how you know I I get to improve. So I grew up in Kakuman, mm-hmm. South Sudan. Mm-hmm. I'm finishing a documentary that I'm doing about Kakuma. And the film is about like South Sudanese music, South Sudanese musicians who live in the refugee camp and how they're connected to like the music back at home mm-hmm. and how, because they've lived, because like Kakuma has been there for like 30 years or more. Mm-hmm. So it's like how music evolves or how music doesn't change, even when though you migrate from one place to another. Mm. Um, yeah. And also like collaborating with artists and uh, Meg Gengeton. I released an EP like uh, in March mm-hmm. with the same artist. So it's more like trying to work with South Sudanese artists back in the refugee camp because I think obviously like South Sudan does not have a lot of music out there mm. so it's trying to like create and work with other artists yeah, yeah. but for Antimas uh, I'm really not sure of course we're playing parties we uh, we have a show in Paris uh, in November as a collective Okay. so it's like playing as a collective actually brings us together because we live in different cities mm. and in the past few months we've been like we've been booked together and whenever we come together it's yeah it just gives that same feeling uh, but we're trying to understand because also we need to understand community right we want to to throw parties but we're not from here so it's to understand how to navigate the space and how to yeah to build something from there Mm-hmm. Okay, well, I wish you all the best for the future. I'm actually really interested in the documentary that you're talking about. Yeah. So I'm going to message you afterwards because <laughs> yes. it sounds like a dope experience. And I'm looking forward to also hearing the EP as well yeah. once it drops. Um, thank you so much to Takana for coming yeah. on. Shout out to the Anti Mask crew as well. Yes, much thank love. Thank you from for Berlin. having me. Of course, of course. Now let's dive into the other headlines that mattered this week. Bandcamp sold again. In March last year, Epic Games bought Bandcamp. Now it's been sold once again, this time to a company called Songtrader, which is basically a B2B music licensing service. They say that they will continue to operate Bandcamp as a marketplace and music community with an artist-first revenue share, while increasing opportunities for artists on Bandcamp to license their music in various ways. So far, so good. But there's a lot of chatter online about what the long-term results may be. Some people are getting flashbacks to the MySpace purge. The site changed hands so many times and eventually their entire archive of music uploaded across the years was just deleted. Yikes. 
Bandcamp employees have also been working towards unionization for a long time, and it's unclear how this sale will influence these efforts. And when Pitchfork asked SongTrader for comment about how the sale would affect things like the Bandcamp Daily editorial platform, they declined to comment. All we can do now is wait and see. Grassroots music venues under threat. A couple of weeks ago, the UK's Music Venue Trust went public with a sad statistic. 10% of the UK's grassroots music venues were likely to close before the end of 2023. 67 venues have already shut down this year and another 90 are in crisis mode, working with the Trust's emergency response team. Now the Trust has made a direct appeal to the UK's Chancellor of the Exchequer, basically the UK's most important financial minister. They're requesting an extension of a tax release scheme meant to protect venues from excessive and poorly reasoned taxation beyond April 2024. And they put the losses in very human terms. 125 venues have closed in the last 12 months, meaning the loss of 4,000 jobs, 9 million pounds in income for musicians and more than 14,000 events. The UK isn't the only place where venues are experiencing a crunch due to post-pandemic financial pressures, combined with skyrocketing energy prices, a cost of living crisis, rising rents and more. Ahead of the celebration for Berlin's Tag der Club Kultur this year, Berlin Club Commission published the results of a survey of 50 clubs and collectives that said Berlin's club culture is currently facing an existential threat due to the economic situation. The clubs report a decline in attendance of about 20%. This is the lifeblood of live music and club culture under threat. So now it's time to pay attention and make your voice heard to affect change before the spaces we love close for good. Cable-free studio monitors. Bedroom producers, it might be time to take your studio rig outdoors. III, that's the Danish company best known for their DJ headphones, just launched what they called the first professional cable-free studio monitors. Using their own w link technology, the monitors are only 2.5 kilos each and are battery-powered. No audio or power cables required here. The base vent at the back also doubles as a carrying handle if you decide that your new mix down needs a bit of sun and a change of scenery. You can still connect via Bluetooth or use cable connections if you like to. Amazingly, the system's main components claim to be made from 100% recycled plastics. We love to see it. They are on the pricey side for monitors at $800 though. We're interested to hear if the quality matches the novelty enough to convince producers to make the switch. EU to ban generic environmental claims. When was the last time you questioned the terms climate neutral or eco-friendly? It sounds so satisfying, right? Consuming without harming the climate. I see these product claims everywhere. Thing is, in most cases, they aren't. Greenwashing is a huge problem, and that's why the EU is about to do something to tackle it. The Parliament and Council have reached a provisional agreement on new rules to ban misleading advertisements and provide consumers with better product information. A study by the EU Commission in 2020 found that more than half of environmental claims made by companies were vague, misleading or unfounded, and 40% completely unsubstantiated. And I kind of doubt that this was getting better during the last few years. The EU's new directive has a list of terms companies can't use on product labels anymore. Carbon neutral, climate neutral, environmentally friendly, eco-friendly, biodegradable, eco, green, natural, carbon positive, carbon friendly, bio-based, energy efficient, ecological, nature's friend, gentle on the environment, environmentally correct. Broader statements including the words conscious and responsive. That's basically every word that can be used when it comes to being green, right? I'm not quite sure what's actually left. 
This new crackdown on greenwashing is expected to hit multiple industries, but the ones most affected would be the food and beverage sector, the travel industry, fashion and clothing brands, and technology and appliance companies. The idea is to ban generic environmental claims unless companies can provide proof of recognized excellent environmental performance relevant to the claim. And that could include compliance with official EU regulations or recognized green labeling schemes. Actually, I thought that that would be the case already. Mother Nature is fighting back. Before we wrap up the show, time for the recommendation of the week. This week's recommendation is a project that UK music icon Trevor Nelson, Google and YouTube recently unveiled. A new multimedia project to celebrate the impact of black British music by spotlighting black artists, movements and cultures. The project includes crosswords, videos, quizzes and more. I definitely recommend taking some time to dive in. You can find the link in the show notes. That's all for the week this week. Thank you for locking in. We are back here next Thursday. Take care and remember to stop scrolling. The Week is a production by Telecom Electronic Beats and ACB Stories. 